Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazzaro. I'm your host, and today I have with me Early Bird Restaurant, Kristen and Daniel Cofradas, the owners and co-founders. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thank you. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Obviously, you're together and married, and but tell us how you got on this journey. You are on two restaurants, I believe, and what led you to the restaurant, the first one, and how did you guys meet each other also? Oh, my gosh. You should start, Christine. <laughs> That's a long time ago. So um, Daniel and I are both trained chefs, and we met in the hotel industry. Um, as we worked in the hotel industry and... 10, 15 years later, got married and had children, we decided, you know, we love what we do, but how can we do this and have some flexibility with our personal lives and raise children? Um, so we actually lived in Chicago for a little while, which is where our daughter was born and ran into just so many amazing brunch restaurants, which is what pushed us to do brunch so we could be home at night as a family. Well, to be honest, it was more like two restaurants, two brunch restaurants. We used to go because there's no time. Kristen was in corporate, traveling all over the all over the the, the, the country, and I was working in a you know fine dining environment. Uh, the restaurant had you know just recently got named one of the best of Chicago, and on top of that, they got a Michelin star. So I'll be at work you know 17 hours of the day. So it was no way out. You know, we cannot see the light in the end of the tunnel at that point. So we say, well, how is let's let's get an exit strategy at this point. You cannot be traveling. I cannot be working 17 hours. We need to figure something out. And so, how from there did you end up in Denver? From Chicago to Denver, we were here originally. Um, we actually met in Broomfield at a hotel up there, um, and we owned our house. We left. Denver, went to Chicago for about a year and decided that Denver was more of our home. We felt more home in Denver, um, found some new jobs and moved back a year later and um, actually moved into our home that we owned already. Um, and then back into the hotel industry, which anyone that has worked in the hotel industry knows it's 24-7. Um, when you become a chef level, executive chef level in hotels, I mean, I would work 90 hours a week sometimes. And when you see that you're working that many hours, you know, for a corporate entity, we said, why don't we do this for ourselves if we're going to put this much energy into it? Um, and we loved breakfast and we we're actually driving by our first location and one day and said, wow, that'd be a great location for a breakfast place out in the suburbs. This was back in 2012. 2011. Yeah. That's when we saw the location. And at that point, I was working for, um, you know, a luxury hotel brand. And so was Kristen at that point. Oh, no, you were teaching, I believe, at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, she was teaching at Johnson Wells University, um, college level. And, um, yeah, we just decided that, well, we don't just try something different. And breakfast gives us the opportunity to be home for dinner. She was already home for dinner either way, but I was not. So we decided just to just put a business plan together and start researching the area and what was the needs of the area and just do some simple breakfast. That's, you know, simple enough and we can just, you know, do what we like, you know, and just... 
take it one day at a time and, and see if we can grow it to something else. And it really did. It, it, you know, I got to a certain point that Kristen is no longer teaching. And, you know, um, she went back to school, got her MBA as well. And um, after that, too, you know, we said, well, let's grow this. Let's use that MBA. Let's use all that into grow the second location and see where it goes. And that's where we're at. So far has been a very interesting roller coaster ride, but it has been fun. Yeah, the return on the investment. I, mm-hmm. um, so uh, so tell me a little bit about the first location. What was it like to pick it up uh, to, to open a restaurant for the first time on your own? Had either one of you had any experience in opening restaurants for someone else? And so what was that like? Um, I will say then I opened maybe one restaurant prior to this, you know, for somebody else, obviously. Um, and it was a very interesting, you know, learning process. Obviously, if I tell you the truth, we didn't apply any other stuff than we learned in the past of matters of opening a restaurant. So the location was very unique. Um, and we have to make decisions based on what was you know, the best for the location. In my experience, when we when I opened a restaurant priorly, um, the ownership group and so the chef were very lavish people. Everything was all clad, you know. They were meshing my arms to make sure that I can reach the countertops, <laughs> right? And, you know, the whole kitchen has glass tiles, you know. Even before we opened the restaurant, the chef was named Best chef on the southwestern by james beer i mean we've been open for like two weeks or something i mean it was just ridiculous so i couldn't use this experience to go on on a breakfast place we have to learn as we go as a matter of fact i think i was a general contractor for the project who was uh, was funny i mean was was uh, you know it seems like uh uh, a really learning experience. I will not, you know, if somebody's listening here, don't do it. Okay, just hire somebody. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we opened the restaurant and it was a very interesting, you know, uh, learning experience. I mean, opening the first location, um, it was hard. You got moments and you, you know, question yourself if you're doing the right thing or you don't. Uh, I mean, there's nobody else to tell you if you're doing it or not. Um, besides the financials and sometimes the financials are misleading as well so it's very interesting how that works so it's one of those things and you have to have that open mind to say well let's take it one day at a time let's solve the problem let's move on let's keep doing it if it's not working let's change it and i think that's being the person that actually operates it while it's hard to be the contractor um at least in my own experience from being in a similar field and building restaurants, there's no one that knows the kitchen better than the person that's going to be running it or or owning it. And so difficulties aside, yeah, it's not a a fun place to go. But, I mean, you had to pick out equipment. You had to lay out space. Was there existing equipment in the facility when you chose it? Or was it something you had to gut completely and redesign yourselves? Well, it was a combination of things, I will say. You know, we have some some things, then they still even there, you know, like tables and chairs and stuff like that, that, believe it or not, they has been there for, you know, probably five years prior. And we actually acquired in the building, you know, I guess they, our, our landlord actually left them there. <laughs> so we use it. I mean, when you open a restaurant, every expense counts. So we use it. It was working. We refinish it. And... 
but yeah, we have to put equipment, we have to modify equipment, you know, we learn a lot about, you know, working with the city and working with the engineers and try to, you know, make Trying to get it everybody on the same page. On the same page, you know, <laughs> not only the subcontractors, but as well, you know, the city inspectors and try to, you know, kind of be the liaison between the two of them and, and, and opening and schedule. I think our first project actually opened two weeks behind. And, you know, every time I talk to people about those two weeks, I never slept on two weeks, but they say, wow, two weeks, you guys, you, you, you guys did great, awesome. you opened you, so fast, they kept telling yeah. us, and we're going, no, they let us know, and that was actually unseen, you know, to open that fast, two weeks, you know, behind the schedule was not a big deal, and we learned it with our second location, it took about six months. You know, and at, the, and at that location, I was not the general contractor. Yeah. We hired somebody and we pay <laughs> we very it. well as well. <laughs> so funny. let's take a step back first. Uh, how did you come up with the Early Bird restaurant name and your logo? How did you, was it something you did right from the start before you started anything? You know, it's interesting. I think the logo, um, well, the name, I think it was very interesting because we, can, we, we tried to come up with all these different names and why not. And suddenly one day Krishna says, you know what? It's an, it's, it's an early bird. You know, I let Krishna explain the name a little bit more. She right. She got... We knew we wanted a rooster on our logo because it's who wakes everybody up, right, in the morning on the farm. Um, and our daughter was actually born premature in Chicago, and she was so small, we used to call her our little Tweety Bird. And we were just literally standing in the kitchen we have now, talking back and forth, and, okay, we have a rooster. What is the rooster? The rooster's the, the early bird. Oh, Isabel was the bird, and she was early. So it just all fell in place. Mm-hmm. So she is essentially our early bird, which is how we came up with the name for the restaurant. I think, um, yeah, that's definitely accurate. Um, on the logo part, I have to say that we just... You know, we just start with the rooster. And then we just start seeing, you know, I start adding a little bit more of, you know, I start looking at a lot of logos, you know, from companies then that that they had a, a, a following, you know. Uh, we took the colors of, you know, many different brands, like, you know, from Ferrari, we took that red, you know, color then we took a little bit of the round from the starbucks logo we took certain things you know were appealing and then we started just kind of designing a napkin and we just got somebody to put it all together you know and basically we just give it a sketch and the guy in 15 minutes and 200 dollars later or something like that it was all done how many children do you guys have one and two dogs one and two dogs. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, if there were more than one, is the other one's jealous of that the oh, restaurant yeah. <laughs> was named after the... But I, maybe the dogs are jealous a little bit. that they I think get, so. Yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> so yeah. tell us your two locations now. Give us the addresses and, and where they're located so the audience knows and how they can find you on social media. Okay. Our initial location is in Westminster in Bradburn Village. It's 11940 Bradburn Boulevard, Suite 400, Westminster, Colorado, 80031. Our second location is in Greenwood Village in the Landmark Shopping Center, which is 5425 Landmark Place, Suite 101, Greenwood Village, Colorado, 80111. We have a website, which is earlybirdrestaurant.com. We are on Instagram, which is at earlybirdrestaurant is our handle. 
We are also on Facebook. Um, our two different locations both had different Facebook pages. Um, Early Bird Westie and then Early Bird Greenwood Village, I think is the other one. And so uh, just so the audience knows, the reason that I know about Early Bird, one, you guys have amazing food, um, I will say. But Thank you. Uh, my stepdaughter, Maddie, worked for you guys when you opened the second location for a summer and, and absolutely loved it and spoke very highly of you guys and, and the restaurant and what you guys did for her as a person. So I, I really appreciate that and you guys taking the time to, to do that for your employees and the people. So. Um, you were a perfect fit for the podcast because I already knew uh, from my experience with her and how she'd rave about it and then obviously been there with the food and things like that. So let's talk about that second location. How did you decide to go from Westminster, uh, which so the audience knows is between Golden and Boulder, I believe, and how did you pick Green, Greenwood Village or what, were you looking all over Denver because it's almost an exact diagonal opposite of Denver where you're located now we were actually approached by um, for the location by a previous landlord um, several years prior to that actually mm-hmm. us opening it and we said no it's not busy enough you know this and that and then they came back a couple of years later and said hey we have this other it was a different space within there um, we have this other location we want you guys to come and look at it we're really interested in having breakfast in there um, so we went down looked at it and decided we thought it would be a great fit because not only of its location but because of the tech center and the buzz and the amount of expansion that's happening in the Denver area um, and how it was laid out Part of our business plan is to always go into a pre-existing um, location, meaning that the hood systems and all the stuff that costs a lot of overhead is already existing, um, which there was. So it ended up working for us. Yeah, I think I think to add to it too is the sense of community on the on Greenwood Village. I think then when we did a little bit of research um, at that point, you know, breakfast was really underserved. I mean now. Um, it's a little bit different, you know, there's more breakfast places joining, you know, Greenwood Village and as well as Centennial. Um, but it was at some point, you know, that we say, wow, this area is really underserved. We, they could use, you know, an early bird here for sure. So, you know, even when we were, um, you know, brought to the site by the managing group who was over there in the landmark prior to, to our opening, you know, we 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 thought that the time was right. You know, coming into the Greenwood Village when we did, it was an strategically, I would say, you know, really good move because right after we got here, you know, we got three or four different big companies just moving into town as well, who reaffirmed that it was a great decision to come in a little bit early. Um, so yeah, I think the second location just really came in handy to. Uh, uh, to us to expand as well in other areas, you know, in our manufacturing of foods, having a bigger kitchen, understanding the, you know, the, the challenges of really, you know, managing a higher staff um, and managing as well, you know, a group of managers, you know, and then they were growing with the company at that point. So, you know, it has been a very interesting, you know, always they said in your second restaurant is the hardest restaurant, you know, so that's why they say open your second and then just jump into it, into the third one right away. But, um, 
Yeah, the second location came came in. I I think at the right time, you know, especially now the Greenwood Villages is you know growing so much. Yeah, and Deborah and I used to live over there until about a ye- almost two years ago. Now we moved, but uh, that area is just booming. I mean, with buildings going up and houses and mm-hmm. housing developments and new companies coming into the Denver Tech Center. So. I think that's great. So is it, am I to assume that that location is your best location right now in terms of revenue and profitability? Mm, I would say that's not yet. Not yet. I think it will be, you know, because of square footage and everything. But at the same time, the shopping center is still a little, uh, I will say, it's a little, um, it, it doesn't have that much foot traffic yet. You know, I think we're working with the ownership group really close to kind of push a little bit more marketing into this, into this area. You know, people, a lot of people don't even know that the landmark exists. Yeah. It's very interesting. You yeah, do. it's kind New of commerce. a little bit hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a little bit hidden. I lived in, uh, over actually on Arapahoe and, um, oh man, in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And I passed Down Landmark a lot. Mm-hmm. And it took me about six months before I realized what was actually back there, right. the movie right. theater and that's our biggest like that. challenge right now. Yeah, it's, it's signage and directionals and. Uh, so, um, you know, I do recommend anyone who's listening in from the Denver area to definitely try your restaurant and your food because I think it's amazing. Um, but what are I mean? Okay, let me take a step back before I ask that question. How do you guys design the menu? You're both chefs. Is there it, cooperation between the two of you, or is it like I'll do this item, you do that item, or a little bit of both? I mean. Normally, chefs are very competitive in my experience. So both of you being chefs, married, and owners of a business, how does that all come down even to just the menu design? I think coming up with the ideas is pretty easy for us. We work really well together in collaboration. Changing something is a little bit more difficult because right. one of us may you know, really believe in an item and the other one doesn't necessarily. But we always come to an agreement because at the end of the day, we know it's for the customers. And I think that's where we're different as chefs is that we understand our customers and we know what they like and what they don't like. And we see what's selling and what's not selling. Every time we change the menu, of course, there's always something that was somebody's favorite, you know, and it's hard to explain to people like you were the only person that bought that every three weeks, you know, or, um, as jokingly, but well, I will, I will have to say though, the biggest thing with changing things is, you know, you have to change to stay the same. You have to do it. You know, if you always have that favorite thing in your menu, and even if it's a be- the best seller, you have to evolve. It has to be something. It has to be something more than just okay. Well, it's great, and then and then what? We're just gonna live with that great all your life. I mean, is that life what it's all about? I mean, it has to be something different. You know, just to give you an example, what I'm saying is. You know, we recently were, um, you know, uh, I would say, uh, what's that? What's the word? Sorry, guys. Awarded for Awarded best for toast. best French toast in the menu, you know, um, by 5280 Magazine. Who over here in Denver, these guys, you know, they basically, I would say they, they have a great follower of foodies. And what they read, they believe, you know, and that magazine is very, you know, it brings a lot of business too. But the first thing that we did, and I'm not kidding, first thing we did when, you, when we knew that we we're going to be the best French toast in Denver, we changed it. And it's crazy because, you know, you, you, you would think, you know, that, well, okay, let's enjoy the 15 minutes of fame. Let's write it off. 
you know, and, and, and keep doing French toast to everybody. But instead of that, we actually decided that what is next? Let's do it better. Why not? And we decided to change it. I mean, we'll still have it in the menu, but then we start playing around, you know, to add some sort of <clears throat> French toast special in the restaurants who has to be better than what we actually have you know, or had in the past or, or what we still have. So it's always one of those things and you, okay, well, we're doing great. Now, how we can do better? You know, I think that moment when you, you know, you're trying to get to the best that you can be and then you achieve it, you have to keep going. You have, it has to be something more. And I, I actually agree with that 100%. And it's something we talk about on some of the podcast episodes. So the minute you get stagnant, mm-hmm. you start to lose. And if For you're sure. not constantly trying to grow and learn or better your product or your restaurant or whatever food or beverage you're in, um, that's often when you start to lose things or profitability starts to fall or you stop caring. And mm-hmm. I think as long as you have a goal and, and moving forward, that's important. So my question is, is how... Does that 5280 process work? Is it something they go out independently and they find you? Is it something they contact you and they say, we're going to do this? Or is it something that's voted on by the people that read the magazine? No, they actually have food writers and they come in unannounced. They don't say anything, you know. You know that 5280 has a, the 25 best restaurants or something that they do yeah. every year. And a couple of years ago, they started with, you know, the best brunch, brunch places issue. because brunch is, I guess, you know, is so popular these days. And they, you know, had contests and they go around and they all these food writers, most likely, they just go and try everything, you know, in places and they find their favorite stuff. I guess I imagine then they do some boating in their offices and who is going to be best pancakes or best French toast or best eggs or, you know, best croissant or whatever it is, you know, that they had over there. And they come up with a magazine. They just call you a few weeks before and, you know, then you got voted, you know, by 5280, one of the best in town. And they let you know you're going to get busier. You're going to get to meet new customers than you never knew, than you even existed. Um, and then the magazine comes off and, you know, just, that's pretty much it. You know, it's always, who is good. I think they do a really good job showcasing businesses. Um, they do, they do a good job. So, and I think it's great because, uh, one, you guys posted on social media and shared it with people. I think that's uh, great, but what we're seeing in, in the newer generations or the upcoming generations is that even my stepdaughters, they do this. We go to a city. It's not, let's look up Michelin stars anymore. Or let's see what's recommended. No, they go to an app or they go to a oh, thing yeah, like 5280, sure. even when they're home in Denver. And what's being ranked? Who has the best this, the best mm-hmm, coffee? Mm-hmm. We're in New York. Who has the best bagels? Right. You know, and it's all peer based and what people recommend and things like that. So I think that's amazing. The other part I want to touch on is the amount of jobs that are being created as a sub industry for lack of a better term to restaurants like yourselves and people, there's a whole business out there now of these people that they get to eat all day. I mean, it's a fabulous job and write about it, mm-hmm. but then there's the people that feed off of that, that particular piece and information that, it's not just a newspaper writing. It's not just your traditional forms of magazine. It's mm-hmm. really people going out and trying the food and being honest and posting about it on social media in magazines. And 
you know, I, I think it's amazing just to be on there because it is a true, um, a true reflection of your food and how good it is by them doing it, you know, anonymously and voting on it and putting you guys in there. Mm -hmm. So that being said, what are each of your favorite items on the menu? Well, we got, we got many, uh, I got many at least, you know, um, one of my favorite, something that I eat quite often, I would say is the early bird riser. The early bird riser is, um, a open face omelet that, you know, due to heat and pressure, it rises almost like a souffle like, and this riser is, you know, um, pretty much cooked uh, in a non-stick setup pan, and then it's finished in the oven. So all the pressure and heat just push it up when he, you know, and it rises, and it gets really uh, puff, most likely. So the riser comes in four varieties. We got different ingredients, you know, from a, a meat lover's type, you know, to a vegetarian one. But they all the risers are topped with a, an arugula and kale salad on the top. It's kind of bringing a little bit more fresh and you know, um, I'll say light approach to the eggs. Um, the rices are as well coming with our potatoes and a choice of toast. That's something that I almost eat almost every day. Um, another favorite, I will say the French toast, um, is one of our favorite, you know, um, on the French toast, what we do is, um, we actually do a thick creme brulee butter, and then we actually most likely dunk all the the bread into it and just let it soak on this and then we just cook it on our flat top or griddle and it caramelizes you know to perfection i mean it's something that is just so decadent i try not to eat it i've been trying to work out <laughs> so that must be hard owning a breakfast restaurant and trying not to eat the food oh breakfast is my favorite meal so i may be biased but it's the most important meal yeah i would yeah. say that for me i we have several several dishes that are my favorite but some of our items that i think that really stick out is our potatoes are phenomenal um, we actually have people that come in just for potatoes sometimes um, we actually use a fresh yukon gold potato um little B-sized guys that we cut, steam, and then we fry them to order. Um, that's part of what makes our food stick out is we do everything a la carte and we do everything a la minute, whereas um, a lot of daytime restaurants, you don't see that, having like the, the dinner techniques into the morning. Um, our customer base understands that things may take just a little bit longer to come out, but it's going to be hot taste great and be plated beautifully because we do take those extra little steps to put garnishes on things um, that you don't necessarily see in breakfast. And then our fried chicken is phenomenal. We have a um, buttermilk fried chicken that we is gluten-free and we dredge it in some um, gluten-free flour and fry it to order and it's yeah we put all in spices mix too we have one one spice mix and we call the early bird seasoning um that adds into you know the flavor of this fried chicken the fried chicken is really good that's another thing that i love to eat all the time and i i try and to I stay can. away that's my favorite uh, on your menu actually the fried chicken, the fried chicken and mm -hmm. the i i literally i uh as a company, we once did a lot of fried chicken uh, marinades and stuff like that, distributions for a very large fried chicken chain. And when you find actually good fried chicken like you guys, like that home style, mm -hmm. in my opinion, but also gluten-free, um, just the whole taste of it and texture, you, it's just amazing. So 
I really love that. And um, everything that I've ever tried on your menu has been amazing. So I appreciate you guys sharing that. But next, I think I want to know is how do you make sure that your chefs and stuff in your kitchen stay true to your recipes? Because a lot of people have trouble with the chef straying and adding too much salt or too much pepper or taking a little bit of freedom in the recipes. How do you... It is hard. Consistency is very hard. And it's just the fact that we're there daily, you know, and we talk to them and we try to coach them and just explain the vision. This is why, this is what the vision or our vision is and try to just understand, they can understand our, our vision becomes their vision. And the same with everything that we, we tell them, just try it, try it, try it, try it, try it, try it, try it. And it's daily, it's a constant battle. And obviously, you know, the industry is an industry that has a really high turnover. And you have to be over there just teaching the same things almost daily to, you know, new people, sometimes old people that they still with us. And you have to retrain and, and, and re-coach. And it's just, um, that's probably the hardest part is the consistency aspect, especially having two restaurants. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's a tough one. And I don't think that anybody in the restaurant business can say then that's their easy part. You know, it's always the consistency issues. And even when you got recipes and you have people that follow it to almost the gram, the reality is they everybody's different. They add their own, own little touches, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, I guess. But I think, uh, you know, understanding that the human element is there and educating, you know, not just do it. Okay, this is why we do it this way. This Look at what happens when you don't do this. This is why this happened. You know, for me going from corporate chef, executive chef level to teaching in the academic world taught me a lot on how to work with people and educate and train within the kitchen. Um, And then also allowing, when we do specials, allowing the chefs to come up with the specials and Right now, we actually have a couple items on the menu that were specials that they came up with. You know, and then we work with them to maybe tweak it. Let's add this. Let's add that. It needs to have the early bird flair. Yes, this is traditionally how you would do that, but we don't do anything traditional. We have traditional dishes, but everything has a twist. So when people come to early bird, they go, oh, that's the, mo- the best French toast I've ever had. Who would have ever thought to dip bread in creme brulee batter and uh, cook it, right? I did. Right. <laughs> it makes so much sense now. I'm like, why didn't someone think of this before? But, you know, well, I think uh, it's... Who, know, who knows? But we were, you know, to, to be honest, you know, we were actually... We never worked, worked breakfast, you know? I think we, you know, we never was specializing on breakfast. I think I worked breakfast for the first time on my life, uh, maybe when I was living in Chicago and I have to manage, you know, um, this hotel, uh, kitchen who was a mission star kitchen for our brunches. And that's where, you know, a lot of the, the things, that's what I discovered how to make an over medium mac is somebody, uh, wants it because we not even at that point in that restaurant, we're not even making eggs to order or anything like that. It was just a really fancy breakfast. Um, but, you know, it's things then they sounded good and make sense. And so the first time that we discussed, well, how, how do you do a French toast in the U.S.? You know, I asked my wife, and she said, well, you do some egg and put some sugar and put some cinnamon. And I was like, that's it? This is it? It has to be something better than this? That cannot be possible. That's how you make French toast? No way. 
and then you know obviously adding butter adding you know cream and then everything just makes sense to make a custard base you know and you add in all those ingredients and you know that's how the french uh, the french toast in our restaurant start you know we're like french toast doesn't make sense let's change it and that's what we did I think it's amazing and the innovation of food and uh, both of you have fine dining background. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting. And I, I want to touch upon this for the audience a little bit is that we've, what we're finding, at least in my experience in the food entrepreneur world that I run into and people that I work with is a lot of people come from the fine dining world when they branch out and start on their own. I, I think there's probably a discipline there and a technique, but you're producing great food at fine dining quality for affordable, reasonable pricing and the twist that you guys and the creativity that you guys put on the food, I think is incredible. And I don't, I think there's a lot of restaurants out there that are just breakfast. It's their eggs and bacon. Bacon's either soggy or overcooked and your eggs are hit or miss. And so the qual to have the high quality food and breakfast now where the product's consistent, like we talked about and, the it's got flavor and, and uniqueness and it's part of your brand it's not just mimi's diner and great you go to diner you get diner food but it's more like this is early bird restaurant this is what you get when you come here you get high quality food and you get fine dining style recipes and meals for reasonably priced and and I think it attracts a lot of people. So those in the audience, I think this is something we're seeing a lot of people do, especially with the food truck movement and mm-hmm. and people easier to start their own businesses in this country and people having the um, bravery and the courage to do it. So on that note, you know, what has been some of the hardest things you've had to deal with owning your own restaurant? How have you guys overcome it? I mean, you're obviously a great team. So has that helped? And... We definitely support each other. Um, I think one of the biggest learning experiences is how many different hats we have to wear. You know, when people ask me, are you the owner? I say, yeah, I'm the plumber, the owner, the chef, the, you know, busser. (laughs) So sometimes you have to wear so many different hats. Um, And we've learned a lot. You know, we were talking on the way because we were looking at, you know, some of the questions like, what have we failed at? You know, I think sometimes people, putting people in positions that weren't quite ready thinking that you could get them, you know, ready and ready to go. And that, that can be quite the challenge. Some of them step up to and do great. And then some of them just fold. And then what do you do at that point? Um, we've had some, you know, (laughs) setbacks as far as, you know, frozen pipes and just physical parts, you know, that we just support each other. And what are we going to do at this point? What's the next step? Right. I think the I think one of the challenges, you know, I, I will say, you know, and let's mention again fine dining. You know, when we work for, you know, for certain companies, I mean, you're using somebody else's money. You're making decisions on somebody else, you know, payroll and expenses and everything. When it comes to manage your own and want the best quality of things, you know, sometimes you have to learn how to get the stuff that you want and without the compromise on quality and get things done and 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 obviously you know sometimes you have to make decisions so it's like not paying yourself for a year you know to get certain things that you wanted 
to go a certain way, you know, or two or three. We're going in three <laughs> years now. Okay. Well, I'll change that soon, promise. Um, however, you know, there are challenges and you have to have a good support team and understanding, you know, um, have, you know, the same mentality or the same mental capacity to foreseeing, you know, the, the now against the later and, I would say, you know, to kind of have that entrepreneurial uh, mindset, then you know then in the end everything is going to pay off. Um, and overcome things such as, you know, the restaurant is doing great. We It's funny because um, at some point my wife says, you know what? The accounting uh, guy said and everything is going really good, and this month we're going to actually break even, uh, you know, within 14 months of opening the doors. And I said, well, great. You know, that's awesome. And then suddenly, the next day, I'm not kidding, we have frozen pipes in the restaurant, and we had to renovate the whole restaurant, all of it. We had to close for six weeks, fight with insurance company, fight with the contractors, fight with everybody to get this place reopened, reopen and start over there from zero with another, you know, now we had to make that money back and grow the business because a lot of your customers base just went away thinking oh man that restaurant came and go they didn't know exactly you know there's no way to tell every single customer in an email or in a phone call hey you know we'll be back you know so it's very interesting um and now i think we're going on a year now since that it'll almost be a year almost we reopened no we actually uh march 31st i think yeah um that's right so yeah we have to redo the whole entire restaurant so what you saw back in the the day when maddie used to work for us you know that's old now you have to come up and see the new one uh yeah deborah and i'll have to come over there for breakfast one of these mornings and deborah's parents are actually uh moving pretty close to you Mm -hmm. guys they were closer to us but now they're moving more out that way so i definitely want to get over there but let's talk a little bit about the what that process looks like. And it's a funny thing in food, and we've learned this the hard way too, is the minute you start counting profitability in food, there's some karma that comes along and gives you a swift kick in the Mm -hmm. butt. And I think as food entrepreneurs, we, we always stay humble. I think that's part of it is, you know, we're right there where we need to be. But the unfortunate thing about it is how do you recover from something like that? I mean, okay, so your frozen pipes, you've had to redesign, rebuild, relay things out work with the insurance companies what was that how long did that take six weeks six weeks altogether. uh and i think in those six weeks the things move really fast uh but the damage of water can do is just it's it's really it's crazy to even think about it um so six weeks took to do pretty much you know from start to finish and reopen but as i can tell you that you know, in those six weeks, it was like opening a brand new restaurant. You had to start over. You know, your marketing had to start over. You had to reach every single customer again. I mean, it's just like, uh, it's amazing how quick your customer base can go. So, I mean, six weeks of really hard work and not sleep can add to you, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> Several years. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it, was, it also uh, made us take a step back, too, and say, we need to diversify, you know, right. what if things like this happen in the future? We do need another source of income, you know, coming in, which is when we started do really pushing our bulk granola production and sales. Cause we Correct. had the kitchen open, the 
place closed because a dining room was destroyed. So we had all these people. We didn't want to lose our staff. What, what can we do to not lose the staff? Okay, let's start producing 40-pound cases of the granola. We can bring them here. We brought someone on to sell it for us. So it was like, quick, we need to think yeah, on our feet. Was, what can we do? A, it was a really fast, you know, okay, so what would um, co-pack some of our products and you know even we can sell it to the other business yeah. you know at least we we'll start there and then we'll see what we can acquire that became you know 20 accounts uh, you know six months later and we were packing our granola we were packing our uh, hot sauces on bulk and you know they were distributing hotels and you know some specialty stores and we're still pursuing that um, but yeah, it just kind of gave us a little bit of something else, you know, a different dimension, a different degree of, okay, well, since the restaurant is closed, what do we do in the meantime? Oh, what do we do as, 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 as everything gets better? So, you know, it was an interesting thing. Probably, you know, if that frozen pipes didn't happen, we would not be talking about granola, you know, 40 or 40-pound cases. cases and 15 accounts or anything like that. We will be like, hmm. Just yeah. doing the same. So it was a very interesting take. Um, it gave us the opportunity to rebuild the restaurant like we really we really wanted to. <laughs> we changed um, a couple of things that we actually didn't like. In correct. The correct. <laughs> so we were destroyed. able to do it, yeah. you know. So the water took all our floors. We hated those floors. Since the day one, we look at those floors and we're like, oh, my God, they look terrible. They were the worst floors to get, you know, um, to clean during the winter it was like a black bamboo flooring and we hate it every day and then that happens and you know i said no nope, the floors can go no not refinishing anything just take them out that black floor show every oh, every yeah. single oh, thing ever it's we have to polish it later uh, every er, later after we close just to make sure it looks good and you know uh we spend hours and you know thousands of dollars mm -hmm. on, on products to make them look good but finally, we get rid of those floors and uh, we put new floor in and, you know, but we have to, you know, and that, that process took five weeks just to, you know, get rid of all the moisture and everything that touch water. So well, getting an insurance really company to move quickly is not an oh, easy yeah. task. Um, I think the, hard, the big learning experience here too, or the biggest challenge for us was being restaurateurs, entrepreneurs, and especially chefs is going, this is out of our hands. You know, we're yeah. pushing the insurance company and pushing and pushing, but we can't control them. So right. what can we do? We have all this energy. We have these people. What can we do? Yeah, you know, we what resources do we have? We didn't mind to work 24, 24 hours to get things done. But then when you discover that you're dealing with people who just like, hey, you know, my chef is over. I'm on break. Right. Sorry. I got to go. <laughs> right. You know, I got family vacation. at home. I got, you know, my thing is done. It's 5 p.m. See you tomorrow. And you're like, no. Yeah. Let's keep go. going. Let's yeah. get it done. Don't and worry. You're going to get your money. We're, no, we've only been open 14 months. You don't understand the restaurant industry. Like, yeah. That's not even enough time to build your brand to where you need it to be. Correct. In the, you know, in the vicinity or the area that you're in. So. I think it's great. Um, one, I want to touch upon something is because we talk about things and people's feel it, fear of failure on this podcast. Um, and I run into it a lot with food entrepreneurs and beverage entrepreneurs I work with. But it didn't, wasn't a failure for you guys. And while it was a hardship, you kind of never know when you're having a good day. So there's a lot of good things that have come out of it. And while you're not out of it yet, I feel like the granola and the hot sauces, which so the audience knows, I'll put it out on social media as the this episode releases. 
um, and I'll get photos out there for everyone to see. Otherwise, you can go see Early Bird Restaurant, and they have the stuff on their pages as well. But how people can turn negative things that happen to them or hardships into positivity and benefit from it and there's a whole line here and uh, actually i love your logo to begin with and i love the way your hot sauces are bottled and i believe is that a six ounce or an eight ounce bottle it's a five ounce five ounce Mm -hmm. okay and but it's a good size it's not too much it's not the big huge bottle that you never use that takes up the whole fridge and it encourages people to to use it often and the packaging that you have your granolas in is phenomenal and so i really just want to say that Wow, um, to see the the opportunity there amongst all of it is is amazing, and to keep your employees employed and working, you know, you know, I don't know if any of them are listening, but not many entrepreneurs or restaurant owners would do that. They'd shut the doors, cut all their costs, lay everyone off, and wait out however long they had to wait in hopes of getting it back. So the fact that you guys did that, I think, is pretty incredible. No, we really we really thought about it. You know, we have that discussion. You know, no once, but, you know, several times where we look at each other and say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to have to let, you know, some people will quit. Let's let them go voluntarily, you know, and some did. And but the other ones who stayed through, you know, we were like looking for, you know, hours in our other store. We end up our granola factory. I mean, we were having even servers and 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 bartenders doing, you know, make, baking granola. That was an interesting process. <laughs> um, after that whole thing, I'm sure then they got really um, high appre- appreciation for the kitchen staff because they were making, you know, 400 pounds. I think I fulfill an order of. Maybe five hundred to a thousand pounds, and they wanted that order done within two or three days. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I sold it right away, and you know, I get these guys. I say, okay, guys, so if you guys want ours, this is what we need to do, and this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna fulfill these orders, and we're gonna, you know, keep moving forward. So yeah, we we thought about cutting all all costs, but then we start, you know, right away creating other sources. So we move everybody into that, and you know, so far a few of them is still with us. Yeah, you know, so who is? I would say kudos to our team in Westminster too, because um, front of the house servers would give up a shift here and there, so someone could come up and work a day or two, you know, make their make some money so they could pay their rent. Um, and we had kitchen help that came up too, and you know, people were understanding and really gracious to work with us on that side too. What a weird chance to have cross-training opportunities for your staff and people to be humble and understand what the the rest of the facility is doing. I wondered, did did you see once you were reopened, were people more appreciative of one another? Oh, yeah, did the for atmosphere sure. change? I mean, that everyone went through that hardship together, so it was almost like they're a band of brothers mm-hmm. in a war situation, and everyone's working together to support you guys in the business and their own jobs and livelihood and each other's jobs and livelihood mm-hmm. so yeah i know absolutely i mean he just he put the whole team together mm-hmm. and even as an owner and as a manager you know you become to you know to to, to see all all those employees in a different way too you know get closer to them in the personal level because we went through all this together you know sometimes you know you don't get to um, involved with your own staff because sometimes you don't want to kind of mix things up, um, you know. But in a situation of you know 
you know, hardships, it's no other way. I mean, you have to relay on a support group and they know that you're there for them and they're there for you and it's no other way. At that point, it's just everybody pushing together regardless of anything. You know, who is the boss, who is not the boss, it doesn't matter. So it really put um, this team together, for sure. And I, the audience can't see it, but uh, the positivity that you guys sort of exube, I don't, for lack of a better term, or portray out that I can feel, I think that's an amazing thing. I think a lot of people would have taken that situation and been so negative and, and down and not seen positivity out of it or opportunity. So I really just, it's amazing. So, I mean, really, right now I'm inspired just standing over here so and motivated. And I really just, I'm blown away. And, you know, and I've been in the food world and even the restaurant world and how many people will quit like that or, or get negative or never recover from something like that or, you know, not keep their employees in mind. So I just really want to give you guys the kudos and the props and, and everything you deserve from from someone that's seen it and seen a lot of people, you know, probably 98% of the people not recover or even do something about it or just walk away. Um, so I think that's amazing. So let's talk about the employees a little bit more. How do you guys train your employees? How do you recruit them? How do you keep them motivated and inspired every day? I mean, we talked about the hardship and going through something like that, but not everyone has gone through that. So how do you, on a day-to-day basis, do that? I think our best recruiting is word of mouth. When other when employees bring in other employees or friends, family members, that kind of thing, um, as you know, in restaurants, a lot of time it's on the job training, <laughs> you know, we're not a big corporate restaurant. And I explain that to people when they come in, you know, we don't have the seven day training where you're going to come in and make $12 an hour and just sit and down and study a menu. You know, we actually kind of, I guess I would say from our kitchen experience and you almost have like an apprenticeship attitude towards thing. If you're going to come in the front of the house, you start in a busting and barista position, mm-hmm. If you can show us that you're going to take initiative and take the menu and learn the menu and um, understand our customers, then we're going to move forward and train you into serving positions. Correct. Um, And then we have trainers or people that have been with us for a while that help with the training process. And of course we have, you know, standards and procedures and all that kind of stuff that we hand out and talk through everybody with, you know, what are our steps of service, really just getting people to understand um, why we do this. You know, we're not, we don't want you guys to just be order takers. We, We don't want you to just cook eggs in a pan. We want you to understand the customers and why they come here and why do we do what we do? Why do I send the potatoes back to you? Cause they need to be the best hot potatoes. You know, it's all the small details that make the big picture and people that can grasp that and understand that and appreciate that are the ones that do the best with us. Yeah. Like Tristan said, I think everybody just start in an entry position. And then from there is just let the culture of the place to really take on and you know people just learn different jobs and different you know ways to do those jobs and they start they might start as a hostess they might end up you know by the end of the summer there will be you know a a waitress or a server or a bartender you know not necessarily having experience in a different place but you know they during the course of you know a summer or three or four or five months they have done all those jobs and they have learned from people on the field and they understand you know how the restaurant operates and stuff and you know we're not we're not a corporate place we're still a corporation but we try to keep 
things really light. You know, we on, we uh, we adjust to our custom, well, not our customer base, but our workforce uh, base. We know them, they are millennials and they're young and they have their own needs of time and we try to accommodate them with their requests and traveling requests and school requests and everything, you know. So we try to make sure that when they come to work, they're just, you know, excited to be there and they want to make um, the time work for them uh, and for us as well. So we try to just work with all their needs and time request and you know i i think it, it makes a difference you know when you talk like you really understand you know their needs you know besides you just understanding your needs as a restaurateur as a business owner you, you know i think they see the difference and they like it so they 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 work for us instead of working at some other place we just no this is you, you work comes first and it's no time to play and it's no time to travel and I think it's a different generation so you have to treat them different you have to understand their needs and I think that comes to to play in our type of training I think that well a couple things I just want to touch upon that I think is great one is is Maddie went through that process a little bit I think she started off busing and then Mm -hmm. when she became a waitress towards the end of the summer I mean she was ecstatic that she could work for tips and that Mm -hmm. she had actually learned the menu and that she memorized and there was all this goal-oriented things that you guys did that really made her feel involved in the company and gave her ownership in what she was doing and Um, dedication to you guys as a company and as a business so I thought it was phenomenal to watch and just in those three months her blossom as an employee and an individual and take on the responsibility and and be a part of it and so I really got to see it firsthand so I thought it was amazing but I wanted the audience to hear it from you guys for sure because I think it's an amazing thing Um, my next question is so do you guys both work full-time for the restaurants and so you're there full-time but how i mean you can't be there all the time or do each of you are each of you at one of the restaurants or not or do you have managers that you trust completely like right now you're not there and i assume you have lunch going on so how does how do you manage all that and how do you choose your employees that you do promote into those management positions we do have managers um, on, on site um, on both places. We basically, we work full time. We are most likely there for the support to that manager to ensure that, you know, she or he had the, the support needed on our end, you know, and the staffing is, is accordingly uh, on both places. We trust them. You know, it's a lot of trust that goes into both of them, but... Even when you trust somebody, you want to make sure that you're there to help him if he needs the help or if he wants to make a decision and he's uncertain of you want to be, you know, just there all the time so you can, you know, you can help him with those decisions. Um, but sometimes, you know, um, I will say it's most likely, you know, to help them, to help them to accomplish their own job. You know, you cannot expect them to do the job just by themselves sometimes. Because, you know, volume changes, uh, demand changes, you know, many different things, you know. But we're mostly there. Christian is in Westminster, um, and I am in the Denver Tech Center, most likely, um, daily. 
Right. Most likely, I would yeah. say that we, you know, look for people that longevity, of course, um, loyalty, allowing them to make decisions and maybe even allowing them to fail and see how they react with that failure. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I tell the managers in Westminster all the time is make a decision, do something, make a decision. If it didn't turn out the best, then we'll discuss what would have been a better decision um, when it comes to small things, of course. And giving them that ownership makes them... You help them to learn, I guess, yeah. you know, you just give it experience. A lot of people talk about experience, but if you've never been there, what kind of experience do you have? Yeah. You know, so right. it's like we talked about earlier with education you know, you can learn all this stuff in a book and in theory and, you know, it all sounds great. Come up with these plans and you're going to go run a restaurant and then, you know, the toilets start overflowing. Yeah. Well, no one talks about that. <laughs> you know, no. what do you do in that situation? Are or, you sure they didn't you talk know? to you about that in <laughs> right. your MBA class? Um, but it's really just allowing people to take ownership of things and being there to support them. You know, one of the things that we do, too, is, and this probably comes from, you know, the chef hierarchy, too, is we go to them. Okay, why isn't this happening? Instead of going to the individual employees all the time, okay, this is our point person, this is what needs to happen, and giving, you know, direct contact and talking to them about, you know, changing things or fixing things, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, so now each of you managed a different location, so kind of, and I there's probably not competitiveness amongst who's doing better, but is there... I mean, you're both basically running the same experiment in two different areas. So is there things that you guys learn from each of your locations and then come back and try to share it with each other for the other location? And I mean, you're running a business, so you're both spending a lot of time in those respective locations for the whole business. But how do you go about that and communicating all of that? Well, the locations are completely different. So I think bouncing each other, you know, ideas off each other's heads, you know, how do you run this and how do you do this? Well, that won't work in Westminster because we only have 50 seats, you know, and I think it's just been a learning experience on how do we look at things from a different perspective. Well, I think we learn daily, though. I think we yeah. share daily what's going on. Um, we talk about what works, what doesn't work in each location, you know. We're not like a like a you know um a huge restaurant conglomerate where every single restaurant got the same layout you know both of the restaurants got their own personality and in a way you know they those locations each one of them dictates what kind of business um is done on each place we discuss you know the good the bad and the ugly daily so it's almost like a you know i will say you know Tristan has been in Westminster for a full week, but then, you know, she hears stories or she hears uh, comments through me about what's going on in the Denver Tech Center. And we bounce back and forth into the ideas, logistics, menus, challenges. Um, I would say, you know, anything that was happening. Um, but yeah, we, there's no other way. We have to, we have to talk about those places for sure. And so with all that time, and obviously I don't know what the total amount of time distance between Westminster and, and Greenwood Village, but I assume it's probably almost an hour-ish. How do you guys, well, then find time to manage your personal lives and time with your daughter and your dogs and, and make sure that you have that time with each other and your family as well? 
I think we make it work real good. I mean, um, I think one of the biggest, um, the best decision we ever done uh, was the fact that we have, you know, restricted hours of operation. You know, we were, we we are from seven open at seven a.m. to two thirty p.m. and then our afternoons are mostly open. You know, unless you know I'm doing a huge, you know, um, fulfilling orders of granola or hot sauce. So it's just a co-packing, you know, type of situation. But our afternoons are, you know mostly open i mean we have you know sports and stuff and you know then we have to do and have to go to the gym and have to you know do things but we make it work um, by six seven o'clock we have dinner every night, every night yeah. and people go you cook every night yes we cook every night well i you cook know, every we, night well, <laughs> <laughs> that's usually where the problems come in in the home kitchen <laughs> yeah always <laughs> But I think, well, one, I think it's important that you have that every night. But the second part that I think is important is we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the podcast is when you were working for other people or in your fine dining establishments, you were working different hours and late nights and probably weren't getting the same time. And being an entrepreneur, while you have to put in a lot of time and there's a lot of stress, there is the ability to plan around things to make time for your family and for your significant others and things like that, which are important. And I'm, I'm glad we talked about it and the audience could hear that. So I have two more questions as we start to wrap things up. The first question is, um, if you could go back to the very first beginning of the first restaurant, what are some of the things you know now and have learned now that you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Selves. I guess. Hmm. I think a big learning experience was you can't manage an entire restaurant staff like you manage a kitchen. So okay. that was big for us, you know, because managing front of the house staff is totally different ballgame than you back know, of the house staff. I think one thing I will tell myself, and since the beginning, because in the beginning, I, you know, I quit my job to do the first restaurant. So I quit my job in May, and I think we opened, you know, three months later. Um, so three months to open a restaurant, what a task. But sometimes, most likely, um, I will tell myself then it's going to work out because sometimes during the beginning of the restaurant, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, how are we going to survive? There's nobody coming through the street. There's nobody coming through the door. There's nobody here, and it's just me and another cook, and that's it. And, you know, we have two servers, and one server will be like, send it home you know you gotta go home buddy and just stay stay with one and you know it's like how are we gonna do this you know the challenge of you know to make the rent you know in the first three months the challenge to pay your suppliers your staff your payroll how do we gonna do this you know i mean i will say hey no worries it's gonna work out and even better three years from now you will just laugh that's what I'll say to myself. And so, I mean, I, I guess I lied a little bit. I said two more questions, but you just gave me one more. In that, how do you stay motivated every day? And how do you guys get up and, and do it every day? Is it, do you feel that you have to or it's something you want to do and you grow? And what is that inside of you guys that really keeps you going, even through frozen pipes and things like that? We talked about the need to, to keep going, but what really drives you guys and at the end of the day, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish with your restaurants or growth? And, and what is it that helps that drive? I think mm. it's 
complete and total belief in your brand and your products and your people and what you're doing. Um, developing that sense of community, that's part of our vision, you know. Uh, an example is Monday I was down here in Greenwood Village having a meeting and one of our longtime customers from Westminster walked in. And I said, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I was down in the area and you keep telling me, so now I'm here. So having the ability to see not only your products, but you're impacting people's lives with food, you know? And that's something I try to remind myself of and my staff, like we're not saving lives, we're just like enriching lives. So let's not take ourselves too seriously and get too stressed out about it. Let's be hospitable, have a great product. And knowing that we do that and, or, uh, you know, try to do that every single day, that's what drives me. Well, to me, it's a little bit different. To me, is you know, I want to conquer the world one egg at a time. <laughs> I want to see the brand going everywhere. I would love to just go to a foreign country and suddenly just step out and it's an early bird over there, even if it's not mine, you know, even if it's a brand just when, you know, maybe we, so, we, we sell to a venture capital group. Just, uh, is somebody there, you know, my cell phone number is 303. <laughs> anyway, but... Um, even if just to grow the brand to 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 a place where you can actually be recognized, you know, the logo is recognized. I don't care the recognition personally, but the brand can grow to a multi-unit, you know, um, I will say um, restaurant group. And you see our products and shelves and supermarkets and places and you can just look at it and remember that 20 years ago you start that business in a napkin. And, you know, and, and, and pretty much, you know, that, that will be the end goal to see that company just grow. And along the way, you know, the people who stay with you from the beginning or not even the beginning, but just along the ride, I will say, you know, see all these people grow, you know, servers who become managers, managers who become regional managers. Um, and then they, they, they become partners and they become operators and they, you know, it just, it grows. Um, maybe a different, maybe different than other companies or, you know, restaurant groups or everything is the same. You know, we like the fact that it's pretty unique for uh, the early bird concept that we take in spaces and each space kind of take their own personality. They're a little bit different, you know, so uh, growing the company into that, into that future and to see, you know, the brand just move to different states and different countries that. That motivates me. That gets me out of bed every day, for sure. And so that being said, I mean, your future and your goals then are, are, are not to open up different concepts of restaurants, really to just keep growing the early bird restaurant, you know, in different states, even the world, and, and see where that goes, uh, is my understanding. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people like to have different concepts and different type of foods. I think we just really want to pay attention to the breakfast aspect. I think we got a lot to learn still into into that. I think it's more to explore. Um, we're not very interested in opening, you know, a sushi restaurant or a barbecue restaurant or a French restaurant, a Spanish restaurant, whatever. We are in, more interested in grow this brand and grow this brand and, 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 and see what is next. It has to be something that we can do better, you know. So that's what we're looking for, it, is to discover that. I think that's awesome. And the last question I have is, 
um, and sort of we're drifting off on a different topic, but you procure a lot of products and you have uh, a great menu and it's diverse. How do you pick your products? Is it someone's coming in and demonstrating? Do you already know when you're designing your menu options what you want? And, and how do you make sure that you have the quality that you're looking for coming in at all times in that in that food product? Because a lot of people get bait and switch or they talk about the product's not the quality they thought it was or they just write a menu item and never actually get a sample in. And so how do you go about doing it for you guys? We, mm. we procure samples. We both worked in the same region up there in Northwest Denver for a long time. So we had a lot of the same purveyors and we've known them for a long time. Um, train just keeping the product consistent and quality that's training the sous chefs also that if there's an issue you let them know right away because we need the, the new product in you yeah know? And, and you know we we try to let our vendors know too um that we um are looking for you know great ingredients you know if the ingredients are not there don't send it to us because they're going to go back and um you know we're going to waste our time so um the reality is that since we cook most uh, i'll say almost 100 percent stuff from scratch you know we just it's just a matter of the ingredients and then you just take the manipulation of the cooks and the chefs in the restaurants to just make it you know what is expected um our initial menu, we sat down and said, okay, we're breakfast. What are the most important ingredients to have mm -hmm. as, at the highest quality? Coffee. Somehow, um, we knew someone that knew someone with Novo Coffee. We went, we tasted their coffee. It was phenomenal. They're local. They're small roasters. So, perfect. Done. Our sausage is up in uh, Louisville, Old Style Sausage Company. We've known Mike for decades he said, if you guys want me to make something for you, I'll make it. And we worked well, with him we on start, recipes. Well, we started working and, with him on a recipe, and then yeah. he just have a FDA, you know, facility where he produces sausages. And since, you know, since we opened seven years ago almost, um, you know, um, in Westminster, he has been producing the same sausage to the point that he's like, hey, can I can I start producing your your, your recipe to sell to different companies? And why not? And I said, sure, why not? big deal mm -hmm. you know so yeah we in the beginning it was a little bit more we were more involved we got more time to be doing that kind of stuff now than we have a second restaurant you know a lot of the stuff is already in place and vendors we work with the same vendors since day one and there's been a lot of loyalty around and understanding of the ingredients and the type of products that we need so oh that's excellent so I want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast for sure and taking your time and the audience who's listening in, please share this episode and, and share it with a friend. That's all we ask. You know, everyone here is volunteering their time, the people that are being interviewed and, and me and Deborah who do this and Kristen and Daniel are, have been great. You guys have been awesome. So please share their story. Go eat at their restaurants. Try the French toast. I heavily recommend the fried <laughs> chicken. I love it. And so please go there. So as we start to wrap up, will you guys tell us if someone wants to get a hold of you or, or how they, what the hours of your restaurants and locations are again? And if there's someone in the audience that's interested in, in maybe helping you with products, how do they get a hold of you guys? And, and what does that look like? Well, we are open daily, 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. We co close on Christmas Day only. 
Um, our location in Westminster is in Bradburn Village at 11940 Westminster, Colorado, 80031. Our Greenwood Village location is 5425 Landmark Place, number 101, Greenwood Village, Colorado, 80111. Um, you know, you can come by and see us in the restaurants. We sell our retail granola and hot sauces and everything there. Um, we service you know to go you can sit down we do all kinds of things so you can see us there or if you really want to get in touch with us our email is d like daniel k like Kristen, at earlybirdrestaurant.com and um or through social media facebook instagram we're on pretty much every platform every single day yeah, I couldn't quite figure that out, actually, because I knew your last name started with a C, and then I saw your email. I'm like, DK, like, where? I, there's Daniel, well, but where was the other part? We, share, we shared the email account as well. Yeah. <laughs> In the beginning, we had to, because there was so much coming at us that we didn't want to miss anything. You know, I think another important factor is in Greenwood Village, we do have a private dining room and we do a lot of special events. We've had um, wedding rehearsal dinners. Mm -hmm. We have another one coming up soon. We do a lot of corporate events. So if you're interested in something like that too, we have a beautiful dining room in there. Well, um, and, and, and our restaurant closed at 2.30. So right. we actually do a lot of functions at night for private dinners, you know, events and everything. And we have done it for the last couple of years, especially during wedding seasons um, over here from May to October. You know, the restaurant books really quickly for those type of events, you know. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I actually would, I will talk to you guys a little bit after and shoot you an email on something that I was looking for a space here recently for uh, April. But, um, and actually that's good timing. Um, Perfect. Things work in mysterious ways. Right. And, um but I, again, uh, the audience, I really, I, I thank you guys for listening in. I thank you, Kristen and Daniel, for being on the podcast. And I please encourage the audience to share the podcast with your friends. It's all we ask that you guys listen in. We don't charge anything. We don't do advertisements. We just allow um, everyone to listen in and be a part of it and learn from all these entrepreneurs that are on the podcast. So please share it and give back um, to how we're giving to you guys. And I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm the host. Uh, this is Justin Bizarro, or, or, sorry, Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. You can reach me at justin.bizarro at gmail.com. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And everyone have a fabulous day. And thank you very much. Bye.